ShotGlassDigital.com. Geek Out Loud is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash geekout. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player of your choice. audibletrial.com slash geekout. Help us out, guys. Come on. Come on, help us out. this episode of Geek Out Loud, we are talking some superhero movies. I saw Fantastic Four, or Fantastic, as I like to call it. We're going to talk about it on your safe place to geek out. This is the Geek Out Loud Podcast. Welcome to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on the internet. My name is Steve Glosson, and I am so glad to be along with you after about a week off of all the Goloverse shows uh, with so much going on. Breaking news as of the time of this recording, Dave Jones, co-host of Mark Out Loud and regular contributor to Geek Out Loud, is at the hospital with his lovely wife, Joy. They're getting ready to welcome their baby girl into the world uh so they've had to induce the labor and everything i don't like sick talk when people go to the hospital or or when they're in the hospital they always feel like they have every right in the world to start to tell you everything that's going on biologically with them and i've never been a fan of that i've always thought leave me alone leave me out of this discussion i don't belong in this discussion and uh, But uh, I'm just saying they were inducing labor, and so within the next, they're saying, 48 hours or so, uh, little baby Mavery Jones will be here, and uh, Dave will be a father, and we'll be looking for a new co-host to mark out loud. So congratulations to them, and I know your thoughts and prayers are with them, as are mine, as we look forward to uh, welcoming the newborn babe into the Goliverse. Uh, hey, want to say before we get going too much into things, thanks to everyone who's continuing to, lo- to use, not lose, use the Amazon links provided for you, geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. Geek uh, right as you go to the page, over to the left, you'll see the banners. Click on those things. It'll take you right to Amazon. Do all your Amazon shopping like you normally would, and it helps the shows out tremendously when you do that. And so thank you. Thank you so much for doing that and we do also thank you so much uh see how i took it up at key there uh <laughs> everyone who supports us directly at patreon.com slash geek out loud patreon is a great service where you can chip in a couple of bucks a month if you want to and um 
and help us out, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash geekoutloud. And you can be like our featured supporter. You know her. You love her. Her name is Kristen Riviello. She is Kristen from Jersey. What's her power? How about the power to move you? Tenacious D reference. Kristen controls the element of Earth, moving mountains with a thought, shaking the very ground beneath your feet. It's rock and roll, y'all. That's what it is. Kristen Rivioli, Rivi, Ravioli, Kristen from Jersey, our featured supporter on this episode of Geek Out Loud. Well, I tell you what, a couple a week off will really uh, cause the mailbag to get backed up, and we've got a ton of items to get to. I've got some thank yous to hand out, all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, first off, Scott Purdy chimes in and says, Hello, Steve and guest, if applicable. It's not applicable tonight, sir. Thank you again for the safe place to geek out. It has been three days since my last internet trolling incident, but it was political and not geek-related. My last geek trolling incident was seven days ago, but it was pretty mild as they go. Still, I try to follow your example and be syllable, civil and celebratory. Let me, I did not do the vocal warm-ups before I came on. Civil and celebratory. Scott Purdy making it hard to pronounce words based on the words he puts in his sentences as they follow one another. The human torch applied for a bank loan. He says, I try to be civil and celebratory and never shame anyone for their joys, one day at a time. But now to the subject that has me writing you on this fine day. I can tell you are a student of the English language and grammar, and I have similar interests, and I love to geek out about idioms. So it is in the spirit of enjoying and celebrating the English language that I must inform you that you are saying a particular idiom incorrectly. When something is coming into prominence, the phrase is coming down the pike, not pipe. I should say, actually, that many people use the pipe variation and it probably has become its own acceptable variant of the original because the term pike, short for turnpike, is rarely used anymore. So pipe probably makes a lot more sense to a lot of folks. A turnpike is just a broad road, but I've also heard the term coming down the pike may have referred to the newspaper truck driving to town with the latest news. Many speculate that the new usage of coming down the pipe is a conflagration of the phrase in the pipeline and coming down the pike I hope you find this tidbit interesting, and thank you for all you do. Well, Scott Purdy, hoisted on my own petard, using idioms wrong, I will avail myself of this challenge. Never shall I use the idiom wrong again. And this is Scott Party from... Tr Scott Party? That's what I'm going to start calling him. Scott Party from Trollers Anonymous. He says, I, almost, I also... Uh, must also thank you for giving me a tool to help disarm disagreement tension because sometimes when a debate or some such gets dark, I hear your voice in my head and a vocal pitch goes up and I say, if that's what you're into, that's fine. That's fine. That's what we should all be about when it comes to this geek stuff because it doesn't matter, gang. It doesn't matter. If someone doesn't like what you like, if I don't like a movie you like, you know what? Yeah, is it disappointing to find out that we have differences in our opinions about things? Sometimes it is. But just a difference in opinion doesn't make one wrong or right. It's an opinion. And so if you like something I don't like or I don't like something you don't you do like, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Dean Cooper. 
says, hello, Steve. I hope this email finds you well. It does. Greetings from the high desert community of Moss Eisley, where you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. First of all, I want to thank you for providing a safe place where geeks can talk about geeky stuff and feel comfortable doing it. I love my friends dearly, but when you talk geeky things like Star Wars and the Marvel Universe, it's like talking to your dog. I... What? Their ears are up and their tails are wagging and their head is cocked to one side, but they have no idea what you're talking about. Although I'm not a super geek like my wife, Wendy, I do love some Star Wars, Marvel, and Doctor Who, to name a few, and the chat is an awesome place to let down what's left of my hair and just be weird, whether it be rock out loud, geek out loud, or whatever. There's always a sense of family, which is what I love about it. Thank you so much, Dean. Now, Dean is the uh, the husband of Wendy from the high desert, um, and I... I appreciate your kind words. That's what we really, you know, when I started out this whole thing, when I started out this whole geek out loud thing, I, that's what it was all about for me at the time. And we'll talk a little bit about this later on in the show, but at the time it was hard. It was hard to be a geek guys. It was hard. I mean, I started this thing up. I started the blog up eight years ago, the podcast seven years ago. And, and it was hard to be a geek because I was around, at the time, we weren't in the middle of this superhero renaissance that's going on. We weren't in the middle of a Star Wars renaissance. We were on the tail end of all these things. Smallville was on TV. Heroes was, you know, up and down as far as what people thought about it. But it, we just weren't, it wasn't happening. And so, I, I, for me, my group of friends, none of them were geeks. I mean, that's really what it came down to is none of, none of my friends were geeks and I needed an outlet so that I didn't bore my friends with my geekiness. And that's what this was. And I decided that rather than do what was prominent, very prominent on the internet at that time and complain about all the stuff that I didn't like, I would celebrate the stuff that I do enjoy. And, uh, which is kind of a slap in the face of what tonight's format's going to be, <laughs> as we are talking about Fant Forstick. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, I, I'm going to try to be, uh, level-headed and moderate. It really, I, I, we'll talk about it when we get there. Um, but, but Dean, I appreciate it. And, and so when the chat began, when, when we started doing the live stuff with the Big Honkin' Show and then it rolled over and everything else... I really did. That was my whole desire, is that if someone steps into the chat, if someone comes in for the first time, that whether they speak or not, they, they get a sense of community right off the bat, that they feel welcome, that, you know, that ladies can come in, hello ladies, and not feel creeped out by the dudes that are around, that dudes can come in and, and not feel like, well, they're about to get flamed because they actually did like Fantforstic. Um or whatever the case may be, as it is a safe place to geek out, except about Star Trek and Twilight. That's the only things you can't geek out about. And every now and again, we'll slip a we'll we'll slip a little Star Trek in there, because that's what we do. So, Dean, I'm glad you enjoy it, and I thank you for being a part of it. Secondly, Dean goes on to say the reason for my email: while Wendy, my daughter Sienna of Vegas 13, aka the Amen Corner, and I were heading to Arizona to visit some family the other weekend. Wendy put on a recent episode of Round 3 where you talked about which Elvis song was better, Suspicious Minds or In the Ghetto. When all three of you and Wendy and myself did the Cartman version of In the Ghetto, all at the same time we had a good laugh. Between the two songs, I have to go with Suspicious Minds that just rocks. 
I can't even think of what is. We're caught in a trap. Oh yeah, I can't walk out. Mm. Because I can't get started or I won't stop. In the ghetto is a great song, but it shouldn't be played at parties. Just talking about Elvis brought back memories from my childhood. My dad would buy me Elvis records and eight-track tapes on occasion, and we would listen to them together. In fact, I believe somewhere stowed away is my collection of those records and eight-tracks. I was 11 years old when Elvis passed away, and I, and I remember that day as if it were yesterday. I remembered having a dream about three days earlier of Elvis passing away, and it still creeps me out today. The local radio station in Southern California devoted several hours one night to just playing Elvis music. So my dad pulled out the tape recorder, and we recorded the entire broadcast. On our trip home from Arizona, Wendy put on the essential Elvis Presley collection from Amazon Prime, and we listened to it all the way home, except for the song Daddy Don't Cry, which if you've never heard it, you'll know why. The music brought back so many memories, or if you've ever heard it, you'll know why. The music brought back so many memories as we sang all along all the way home. My daughter actually took her headphones off and listened along. I don't know if she really liked it or was just curious. When I got to work Monday, instead of playing my hard rock and metal mix like I always do, I played more Elvis music. Who knew a few minutes of a podcast would have that kind of effect on me? Anyways, here are my top four Elvis songs. Number four, any of the Elvis gospel hymns, Peace in the Valley. There will be peace in the valley for me someday. I know that and crying in the chapel. Is crying in the chapel a hymn? You saw me crying in the chapel. I can't do that one. And how great thou art. Uh, number three, it's now or never. It's now or never. That's a good one. Uh, number two, Heartbreak Hotel. And number one, Kentucky Rain. Thanks for all you do. And that's from Dean Cooper in the high desert. Las Vegas, Nevada. Dean, thanks for chiming in. Appreciate you and your family listening. Always a blast having uh, having you guys chime in. And when we do our call-in shows, when Wendy calls in and the Amen Corner's going, it's such a good good time so um finally one more email because we've got a lot to talk about in a very little time to get to it uh Teresa delgado you may know her the lovely the talented the powerful Teresa delgado asks a question of the goal of her she says hey steve i haven't emailed in a while i usually just crash your shows So after listening to a bunch of shows talking about Marvel and DC Comics, I got to wondering, what should people do who are new to the comics universe? Many people are getting introduced to characters like Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Green Arrow, and the like via the cinematic universes and TV shows. So for these fans, where is the best place to jump into comics? Well, I realize the above question is daunting. I will narrow this down. If someone wants to start reading comics for the following characters, where should they jump in? Uh, and, And here are the things she mentions. Guardian of the Galaxy... Avengers, Batman, Ant-Man, X-Men, and Spider-Man. I've never really read superhero comics other than X-Men, so I'm just curious where would be a good place. My comic reading has always been heavy on Transformers, My Little Pony, and Star Wars. What a mixture there, Teresa. And I'd like to talk to Teresa. If you're reading the Transformers, I want to know about this Combiner Wars thing. Uh, I've seen some stuff about the Combiner Wars, and it's really got me intrigued. I loved Ant-Man. I thought it was so amazing and can't wait to see The Wasp. Until next time, may all your days be magical. Wait, what? This isn't a podcast. Bye. That's from Teresa Delgado. Um, here's what I always tell people, Teresa. Pick a character and just jump in on that character. You know, if you want to read Spider-Man, just pick up a recent issue of Spider-Man. Uh, read the front to see where you're coming from, see what's been going on, and then go from there. 
right now in Marvel Comics, if you go to the comic store and pick up what's on the shelf, right now in Marvel Comics, what's happening is, is you will find that everything's kind of in turmoil as they're going through the Secret Wars situation right now. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is no longer Guardians of the Galaxy. They're Guardians of Nowhere, K-N-O-W-Where, K-N-O-Where. Uh, um, Avengers are all tied up in the Secret Wars stuff, uh, as is Ant-Man and the X-Men and Spider-Man. And in fact, Spider-Man, the, the official Spider-Man from Marvel Universe coming out of the Secret Wars is going to be Miles Morales, not Peter Parker. Um, when it comes to the Marvel stuff, one of the best things you can do is avail yourself of the Marvel Unlimited app. They have literally, and, and this is not a commercial, I'm not getting paid to do this, but I'm telling you, this service is just so amazing because it's, it's perfection what they're doing. $10 a month, you get practically every comic they've ever published, and you get up-to-date stuff about six months behind. You're about five to six months behind uh, as far as up-to-date reading. But it, it's eventually going to come. I read more than $10 worth of comics a week on the Marvel um, app. So I'm getting my money's worth and then some uh, at, at $9.99 a month on the Marvel Unlimited app. If you And so say, say you want to read Spider-Man and you don't really know where to start. Well, you can, on the Marvel Unlimited app, per, per instance, as we say around my family, um, you can open up the Marvel Unlimited app. You can go down to the bottom to the menu and you can go to browse and you can just type in Spider-Man and see the different Spider-Man titles that are there. Amazing Spider-Man being the original one. And you can start all the way back in the 60s with Amazing Spider-Man or you can hit the Discover app and they'll have different things there. Um, you know, suggested reading and, 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 and send you on, a, on your way with some reading some stuff. So like you said, you were interested in the Wasp. They have uh, a Wasp tab that you can hit and and there you see the birth of the wasp you have different avengers stories with her in them you have uh you know the backstory of the wasp all throughout that you can just click on these things it'll take you to the comic and read let's say you want to know about women in comics there's a feature right now under the discover the avenging women the women of marvel wasp is in that scarlet witch she hulk captain marvel spider woman black widow um captain marvel mantis Tigra, Mockingbird, Storm, Hellcat, all these, they have like an issue of Pete's devoted to, you know, featuring one of these characters there. Uh, back to the discovery. So, so they have that kind of thing, and it's a great way to kind of jump in on what you're doing and, you know, what you want to get into. So let's say you saw Ultron, Age of Ultron, and you're like, what is this Ultron thing? And so they've got a tab right now about Ultron. Or you can just go to Browse. You can set up a library where you've got some stuff in there where you've downloaded, where you can read offline. Uh, $9.99 a month, it's great. On the Browse, you can just go to Characters and search for a character. Uh, they have a tabs up across the top. You can go to a publication date. You can go to Events, Creators, Characters, uh, as I already said. And, and so it's all there. And it's a great way to jump into comics because you can read from all over the time periods at $9.99 a month. Now, to the DC stuff, like your Batman, like you mentioned Batman, I would say pick up some trade paperbacks. Particularly, more recently, I would pick up the Court of Owls uh, trade and read that by Scott Snyder over um, from DC. Court Batman Court of Owls is a really good story. It's very intriguing. Um, uh, let's... A lot of people like Year One. Um, I would suggest maybe the Long Halloween. These are a little grittier, a little darker 
uh, not quite the fun you're looking for. If you want some fun Batman, I would say pick up trades of Grant Morrison's JLA run uh, from the late 90s. This is some good stuff because Batman is the Batman that everyone loves. He's basically Bat God. He's got all the answers. He knows everything. And I can't suggest Grant Morrison's run on the Justice League, on JLA, enough to anybody. So uh, so I hope that helps out. Uh, Showcase Presents is a good place to start for DC, according to uh, our own Swinimer, Teresa. Uh, so that's a great idea. Uh, DC, the Showcase Presents, uh, he puts a link to a wiki uh, there. It's a line of black and white paperback books. They're very thick, but they just have all kinds of like Silver Age stuff. Uh, in them, and you can just read through. They're, they're pretty well-priced uh, so that they're affordable, and you can just grab them and read them and enjoy them. So, so check it out, and, uh, and, and that's what I would suggest, Teresa. Number one, that Marvel app. Number two, uh, pick up some trades. Pick up some trades and, and, and let those be your friend. All right, the Facebook polls continue. And this last poll that we put up over at the Facebook page at facebook.com slash geekoutloud was a poll concerning where are you at? Where are you at in the world? Now, I'm not going to go through 163 of you answered this poll, and I thank you so much. It's a very non-scientific way of doing things. Uh, but thank you, guys. It, it kind of gives me an idea of where a lot of our listeners are located more than anything else and um, I'm sure there's more scientific ways to do this uh, as far as the most listeners that we have they're in Ohio 11 people from Ohio in this poll uh, chimed in um, tied at 10 are California and Texas California and Texas both have 10 uh, people who chimed in on the poll listening Georgia and Florida are tied at 5 I need my Georgia peeps to rise up more and let me know you're out there um, let's see what else Washington State with 6 Michigan with 6 and uh, everyone else had 2 or 3 in some cases 1 uh, internationally we had 1 listener in Japan we've got 1 in Mexico 1 in Israel uh, 1 in India that's our good friend Raj 2 in Germany and I get England and the UK and everything that's going on over there confused because some people would say something, they'd say UK, and then some people would say the same thing, it'd be England. So I just put from the UK, uh, from what I can understand from the UK, we've got 11 UK listeners, more than any other uh, area in that continent or in, uh, outside of America. Canada has five people listening in, uh, according to the poll. And the Netherlands, one person from the Netherlands. So that's pretty cool. Back to, the, back to the states, New Hampshire, Montana, Maryland, Maine, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Wyoming, no one, Alaska. No one from these places chimed in on the poll. So if you're listening and you're from one of those states I just mentioned, or you're from another country that I did not mention, uh, get up with me. Let us hear from you. Let us know where you're at in the world. And if you want to move to Alaska so you can be the one Geek Out Loud listener there, please let us know that as well. Kansas, no one from Kansas either. 
I would say I'm not surprised by South Dakota because I don't think anybody actually lives in South Dakota. Montana was disappointing because I love Montana. I love the pictures that I see from Montana. Big sky country, ladies and gentlemen. Montana. So, I did give Hawaii. No one chimed in in Hawaii, but I knew Maui Mark's out there listening. So, I went ahead and put a tick mark next to Hawaii for Maui Mark. There's a shout out to our good friend Maui Mark down in Hawaii. Hawaii. So, all over the, all over the nation, all over the world, Geek Out Loud is happening. Tell your friends. Tell your geeky friends. Listen to Geek Out Loud. You never know who you might hear on this show. We're worldwide, baby. We're global. Thank you guys for joining in on that Facebook poll. There'll be more Facebook polls. Watch the Facebook at facebook.com slash geekoutloud. And the Twitter will let you know when a new poll is up there. Wow, I just turned that to a 90s jam, a la Quiz. Hey, if you missed it, in case you missed it, I-C-Y-M-I, Quiz did have a return uh, earlier this month. Carl and I got together. We talked comic books. It was a geek out loud conversation on Quiz because Carl's got a girlfriend now. So, dang it, right? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I've got a few more things to tell you about. And then we're going to jump into Fant Forstick. And I'm Bell. And we want you to check out Flash TV Talk. 
Flash TV Talk is your source for news, reviews, and spoilers for the upcoming CW show, The Flash. But wait, there's more. Every week we get hyped with discussion and commentary on The Flash and his previous TV incarnations, including... Smallville, Justice League Unlimited, Flashpoint Paradox, Young Justice, and more. Accelerate your fandom with us on Flash TV Talk. Search for us on iTunes or find us online at flashtvtalk.podastery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. Hey folks, I'm Jason. And I'm Dan. And we're here to tell you about our podcast, Flicks. Flicks is a podcast that reviews the biggest movies hitting the theaters, such as... Captain America, Winter Soldier. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Amazing Spider-Man. Godzilla. Dolphin Tale 2. What? No, why would we review Dolphin Tale 2? The first one had Morgan Freeman in it. Morgan Freeman works with Batman. Anyway... We don't only cover the latest, we also cover the greatest. When there isn't a blockbuster hitting the local theater, we're talking about some of our favorites from the past. Movies like The Goonies. Star Wars. Featuring Steve Lawson. Gremlins. Terminator. National Lampoon's Vacation. The Last Airbender. Dude, no one liked The Last Airbender. You did. Stop derailing the promo. (sighs) Now, why should you listen to our show... Out of all the other movie review podcasts out there, because we really do love the movies we talk about. And because every couple of years, Steve Glosson comes on and talks Star Wars. Seriously, dude. Hey, know your audience. Fair enough. Listen to Flick's podcast, because we know Steve. Generation Star Wars is speaking up and sharing its story. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm David Michelini. I'm Tom Panneries. I'm Steve Glosson. I'm Matt Hunsworth. I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Ryan Shaw. I'm Paul Herman. I'm Jimmy Mack. I'm Ryder Waldron. I'm Justin Bulger. I'm Joseph Tavano. I'm John Jackson Miller. I'm Consetta Parker. I'm Steve Sansweet. And this. And this. And this. Is my Star Wars story. Is my Star Wars story. 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 Monthly at MyStarWarsStory.com and available in the iTunes Store. back here on geek out loud a couple of things to tell you about of course number one do you like books do you like having books read to you well check out audible.com if you're not a member of audible.com it's a great great uh service and you can try it out for free right now at audibletrial.com slash geek out now what you'll get is a free trial with a free audio book of your choice. Over 150,000 titles to choose from, every genre you can imagine. It's a credible service. I love it. I use it. I can't wait from month to month when that new credit gets in there to, uh, to get a new book. If I can recommend one thing for you, it's next month's discussion book that we'll be talking 
in the Goloverse Book Club. Now, our Goloverse Book Club episode coming up this month will be on Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis. Next month, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy number one. You can head over to audibletrial.com slash geekout, get your free trial started, and let that be your free download. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy number one. The other thing I want to tell you about is the Satchel Podcatcher app. Uh, there's, it's in beta right now on all Android devices. This is a great new podcatcher app that's been developed by a good friend of the show, Bo York, and team. Satchel Podcast, satchelplayer.com rather, satchelplayer.com. Now what this does is it allows you to not only listen to your favorite podcast without third-party interference or ads or anything like that, uh, it's been designed for iOS and Android, but specifically for Android, to make sure that Android has a really good podcatcher on it. Stitcher has taken to throwing ads that have nothing to do with the podcast that they play on there, and uh, this team was kind of tired of that. And not only that, um, they wanted to have something where you could support your favorite podcast, even if your podcast's favorite podcasts weren't asking for it. And so they supply a way for you to support the podcast you're listening to right there where you're at through the app. Uh, Satchelplayer.com. Get in on the beta now. They need uh, some more feedback from people who are using it, the open beta. It's, you can get it on the Android Google Play Store. Uh, they definitely need uh, more testers, podcasters, and listeners both. Satchelplayer.com for more information and, uh, and look into that. And we appreciate you're helping up through that free app, completely free. It's not a freemium. You're not going to get to have in-app purchase or anything like that. Satchelplayer.com. Man, oh man, I love that song. It's Ookla the Mock, Superpowers. I don't even know if Ookla the Mock is still together, but they're a fun band. they got a lot of great geeky-themed music. That's one of my favorites by them. Superpowers, Ookla the Mock. Check it out, and uh, check out their other stuff, too. Hey, guys, let's talk about the Fan Four Stick, the Fantastic Four. The old 1967 Fantastic Four cartoon, that old Hanna Barbera stuff. I really, uh, not to, I'm not to get off on a tangent too much, but I really dig those old pre 70s Hanna Barbera cartoons. They were doing all kinds of stuff back. They had all kinds of properties. You know, Filmation was doing the DC stuff, and then Hanna Barbera would come along and get some of these um, Marvel shows and everything, and, and kind of stick with them for a little while. Um, but, man, all that old stuff. There was just some really interesting stuff from that time. Not just your Johnny Quest, but they did Thing. They did a cartoon show about the Thing, and it was this scrawny little kid, and he had a ring, and he'd be like, Thing ring, do your thing, and he would turn into the Thing. Um, they did a show called Samson and Goliath, which was about a kid and his dog that would turn into, he'd turn into, like, the mighty Samson, and this and this dog would turn into a lion. 
um, Goliath. Uh, and, and, and it's just kind of strange. The Space Ghost cartoons from back in that era are really interesting. You know, it was Hanna-Barbera trying to, into the 70s, trying to get their own brand of superheroes out there. Birdman was there. And for some reason, I always associate these cartoons with um, vacationing during the summer because for whatever reason, the stations that I was familiar with wherever where we would vacation would show this era cartoons, and I was always totally into them. And any time a superhero cartoon popped up, Man, I was I was on it. I was on it. Um, so Fox has released their latest attempt at Fantastic Four. Josh Trank directed it. Fox uh, produced it. You know, distributed it, that sort of thing. Fox has those rights from Marvel to to do the Fantastic Four and their related characters. I did go and see this thing. Listen, this thing has been panned. This thing has been treated very very poorly by critics and fans alike. And I think there's several reasons that happens. You know, there's a lot of drama. EW has a great story in there. It's tucked away in the midst of all the Star Wars stuff in their latest issue that's come out. But there's a great story on the drama that went on behind the scenes with this. That Josh Trank... um, a young director, you know, hasn't quite learned all the political ropes in Hollywood. And, and who among us have? Look, we're just fans. And apparently, he didn't like some of the stuff the studio was demanding that he do. Um, it's been said that he didn't want Kate Mara as Sue Storm. And so he apparently was kind of dismissive of her to maybe to the point of being rude to her on set. There's the whole thing with him trashing the house. Now, this all kind of came to light when he stepped away from doing the Star Wars standalone film that he was going to be directing. And everyone kind of tilted their head, and they're like, well, this doesn't bode well. And sure enough, the more and more as things came out and happened, uh, everyone's like, yeah, this doesn't bode well. Well, previews, world premiere happens, the Fantastic Four, and critics are just panning it 9%. I think it's maybe up to 10% now on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I, I mean, people are saying pic- they're saying Pixels was better than this movie. I've not seen Pixels, but Pixels has apparently been one that people have not enjoyed and have kind of panned. And so, when you have a situation like that, what do you do? And Trank, as a young director, as a young guy in Hollywood, he takes to Twitter, as most people in his generation, our generation, do. And he said something to this effect: One year ago, I had a version of this movie that been fa- would have been fantastic. Everyone would have loved it, but you're not going to get to see it now. Not, and he wasn't saying like, nah, 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 nah. he was saying that because of the studio, that's not the version you're ever going to get to see. And he took the tweet down rather quickly, but as we all know, in the internet, if you say it, it's there. Um, and, and he took it down rather quickly. So, you know, obviously someone slapped his hand, a publicist got a hold of him or something. Meanwhile, um, Fox is saying, well, Trank was doing things terribly. We had to step in and save the production. He couldn't be trusted with it. He was indecisive about things. He was he was not good on set. There's So there's a lot of finger pointing going on. But what it really comes down to, if you ask me, is a lack of understanding at the corporate level of Fox of what to do with these properties. Brian Singer has taken the reins of the X-Men property, and people like Days of Future Past better than I did. I don't hate Days of Future Past. It's just not... 
I just wasn't like blown away by it or super, you know, super stoked about it when I came out. Apocalypse looks like it's going to be something really cool, has potential to be great. Apparently, um, Poe Dameron's look is going to change throughout Apocalypse where he may end up being the Apocalypse that we all know and expect him to look like uh, by the end of the movie. I don't know. that It's just stuff you're hearing. But Brian Singer has proven himself with this X-Men franchise. And I think it's because Brian Singer was a bit of a fan of the X-Men back in the day that he kind of gets it. Now, with the Fantastic Four... Um, the gentleman who directed the the first two Fantastic Four movies with Jessica Alba and Michael Chiklis and Chris Evans, uh, he was he was a fan of the Fantastic Four. When you hear him talk about these these characters and this world, this is a guy who is a who was a fan of the Fantastic Four. So Tim Story was his name, the director. And it the thing is though, it doesn't help. And this is where sometimes as geeks, we get this mentality, well, how much did you know about this going into it? Sometimes it doesn't help to be a fan going in. Sometimes that's not going to do the trick for your movie when you're adapting these superhero characters. So I thought before we got too deep into the problems with Fantastic Four, I think we need to step back and talk about what we expect out of superhero movies these days and and what we've come to expect from the superhero movie genre um it's interesting because several times over the past 30 years or so or just just under 30 years um no over 30 years several times in almost the past 40 years several times in the past 30 years or so 35 years or so this this statement has been made well, this movie almost killed the superhero genre. But when you start to kind of dig in and and look, you'll find out that since Superman the movie, since 1978, almost every year there was a superhero, at least one superhero movie made and released uh, in the theaters. Not direct-to-video stuff, not animated stuff, but movies made and released into theaters in 1978 it was superman i'm not going to go through all of them but i but i was really surprised to find this out in 1980 superman 2 uh then it would be 1982 with swamp thing 1983 with superman 3 1984 with supergirl now in 85 and 86 there was a lot of other stuff going on and there were some comic book based properties that got out there but not necessarily superhero properties but in 87, Superman 4 comes along, and that's the one they all said, well, this is going to kill this genre. This is going to destroy it. 89, they released Dolph Lundgren's Punisher. Um, Marvel was trying their hand at it, and it just didn't work. It, it, was, it was this mentality of people aren't going to buy what's on the page on the screen. But also in 89 comes Tim Burton's Batman. Batman completely was this incredible renaissance in superhero fandom in what people looked at and thought about superheroes in the comics you know there was some stuff going on it there was a, we were we were inching toward that 90s boom in the comic industry but 1989 Batman was a game changer but it was only 2 years after Superman 4 and a lot of people look and say well Superman 4 almost killed everything it wasn't until uh, Tim Burton's Batman that we really got another superhero movie well it was only 2 years i yeah 
it was in production while Superman 4 was going on. Think about that. While Superman 4 was being released and out of theaters within a week or two, Batman was was in talks and in production. They were they were working on this thing. They were getting the ideas together for this thing, most likely. And you know, it didn't go into production full on, I know, until like eighty eight, but still. So the so the franchise the, the idea wasn't dead and it wasn't almost dead because of Superman four. Tim Burton comes along, does Batman in eighty nine. There were a couple of other, again, comic book properties, not necessarily superhero properties, but comic book properties between, uh, and comic strip properties between 89 and 92 when Batman Returns came out. Plus, it was around that time that we got Batman the Animated Series. Uh, in 93, uh, the, the Batman Animated Series movie, Mask of the Phantasm. 94, The Shadow, classic, classic comic strip character. 95 was Batman Forever. 96 was The Phantom. Uh, again, comic strip character. Uh, 97 was Steel and Batman and Robin. Now, right here, between that 93 Batman the Animated Series and up to 97 or so, that's when this comic boom really started to happen, and then the bust would kind of take place as well, right around 98 to 2000, over in the comic book sales industry. But here's the thing. In 1997, Batman and Robin comes out, and everyone says this is the death knell for the comic book movie, for the superhero movie. And everyone talks about how superhero movies were dead after Batman and Robin. There was no. In 1998, Marvel finally dips its toe in the water again in a real way. Now, there had been the direct to video Captain America movie in 92. And the Roger Corman movie in the 94, in, in 94, 95, is it was never meant to be seen. Uh, the Fantastic Four movie. And, and, and we're going to remove that movie from the conversation. Because though it has been bootlegged, and even I have a copy, and probably some of you have a copy, it was never officially released. It was something that was only produced so that the distribution company could keep the rights to those characters. It's, I'm not saying it's, it's really worth talking about, but not in the terms of this discussion because it wasn't something that was released to the public uh, officially. So 98, Marvel finally once again dips its toe into the waters after about six or seven years, and Blade comes along. Now, Blade could very well be the reason that everything that happens beyond that happens because Blade was a surprising success. And, and the thing that worked about Blade at the time was if you didn't know it was a comic book property, if you didn't know that Blade was a vampire killer from the pages of Spider-Man, no less, or, uh, you know, that he'd, he'd teamed up with Spider-Man on occasion, that sort of thing, you, you didn't know going in. You, you didn't realize that you were, you were being beholden now to a comic book movie. So <clears throat> Blade happens, right? And... And the eyebrows raised. Now, 99, there were no real comic book properties or superhero properties coming out, but here's what was going on in 1999. A little movie called The Matrix was released early in 1999. The Matrix is responsible for changing the look and feel of movies. Matrix really pushed the medium of filmmaking as far as the visual storytelling, pushed it forward in some neat ways. Some ways that people got stuck in for a while, but still it was there. But also in 1999, in May of that year, Star Wars returned to theater. Star Wars was back uh, in the Phantom Menace, in, 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 the, in the form of the Phantom Menace. And regardless of what your thoughts on the prequels are, were, or will be, uh, that 
is another moment in history that kind of changed the game. The Matrix was doing amazing things with camera work. Phantom Menace was doing amazing things with pushing the digital technology that had come before it uh, in, in such a way that there were now fully digital characters realized on screen, something we'd never really seen in broad daylight before. Regardless of what you think about Jar Jar Binks, he was a neat, he was an incredible feat. That character, an incredible feat of technology, and and so that happens. And then in two thousand, uh, Brian Singer's first X Men movie comes out, and if Blade was kind of the germ of what got things started, it was the X Men that kicked it into high gear, and the X Men began this thought process that would plague superhero movies for a few years to come and still plagues a few superhero movies. And it was, it summed up in one simple line, would you prefer yellow spandex? Um, there was the idea that the way these characters looked in the comics or on the cartoon would not translate to live action. So we're going to put them in black leather suits. No one had a problem with that. The characters themselves ended up being spot on. Wolverine, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, I mean, look, he's now been sidled with that character for the past 15 years. For a decade and a half, Hugh Jackman has been associated with the character of Wolverine. Why? Because he nailed the heart and soul of the character in that first X-Men movie. Patrick Stewart as Xavier. Uh, Ian McKellen as Magneto. All of these things came together to make just, every, I mean, everyone, the whole cast of that movie, even Halle Berry's bad accent as Storm, everything worked in that film on a level that no one ever thought things could work in a superhero movie. You had a team, you had a, a plot, you had real stakes, not just for our superheroes, but in this case, for at least New York and for the leaders of the free world. And it was an interesting tale, and it and it and it brought up everything that Stanley ever wanted to bring out when it came to his his story of the mutants. As far as these are people who are shunned by society because they're born differently, and but it's not an in-your-face preachy kind of thing. And you see how different people respond to the persecution in different ways in the person of Xavier and in the person of Magneto. Everything was really, I'm not saying it's a perfect movie, but as far as telling a superhero story, it really worked. Well, then in 2002, all of the legal stuff had been cleared up. All of the developmental hell had gone through was finally, you know, washed away. And in 2002, Sam Raimi gets to put his Spider-Man movie in front of audiences and it to a huge, huge success. And again, that little thing, we don't trust what's on the page to translate well to the screen, and so we ended up with a weird-looking green goblin. Everything else, spot on. People were wondering why Mary Jane, not Gwen Stacy. There was all this kind of stuff going on, you know, as far as what's happening here, what's the deal with this, but it worked. And Tobey Maguire was a good Spider-Man. He was a good Peter Parker. The characterization was there. I liked the lady who played Aunt May. I thought she was fantastic. The The relationship that they had really worked. The death of Uncle Ben was powerful, even though it wasn't a burglar. It was a, you know, a, a, a carjacker. Um, and, but everything worked in this situation for that movie. And it 
captured the uh, the imagination of audiences everywhere. Spider, if, if X Men, if Blade was kind of like the germ of what was to come, X Men took that first big step, and Spider Man's like, let's just do this. And at this time, it was Avi Arad as the executive producer doing some stuff. You know, the name Kevin Feige had not been heard yet. Marvel was trying to now get their properties out to all these different places and, and all these different studios because they needed the money to come in. The Disney buyout had not happened yet of Marvel. That, was, that would not come for another six or seven years. So Spider-Man, huge, huge, huge stuff at Spider-Man 2002. And again, look, you're going through a period sometimes where there's just one year with no one or two years max from 78 to 2000 with no superhero movie out there. This genre was never dead. This genre had never died. The genre was never gone from the, from the movie screens. What happened is it got kicked up a notch around the time of X-Men. In 2003 is when things really went big. You had Daredevil, uh, which some people I know, look, mixed on all sides about Daredevil. People are so mixed up about it. But again... What were the problems of Daredevil? Why, why do people think it wasn't a good movie? It comes down to storytelling. It comes down to too much editing. When you watch the director's cut, what you get is a cohesive story that makes a little bit more sense. The effects and the stuff that was going on, and again, a different time. You had Bullseye jumping around, catching falling glass, and then just, you know, just kind of chunking it off his hand right at the, you know, Daredevil. You had them running up and down a gigantic, you know, pipe organ, and it was kind of surrealistic. And and there was a, you know, it was kind of this idea of, well, let's really make comic stuff. Hulk, man, was one of the most disappointing things in my life because when he first hooked out, it, I didn't get pumped. Everybody whispered, but Ang Lee had a vision. This was a time where people were taking their own visions and putting it to to what was on the screen. Uh, Hulk did those crazy edits where they kind of cut like you're reading a comic book. And I never like. everyone's like, that's really cool. I really like that. I never cared for it at all. But they're, but they're still, you know, and that's another thing. I need to talk that movie sometime because there's a lot there that Ang Lee decided to go with that I don't feel like should have come in until like a second movie with that cast. I feel like the first movie should have been a little bit different, but the second movie, we could have got into some of that psychological stuff, but there was so much thrown at you. And so it was a bit of a, not a, I don't know if it was a, I think it might have been a failure. It was very polarizing. There were people who loved it and people who hated it. Um, but also in 2003, X-Men 2. And X-Men 2 completely blew up what X-Men had done. I mean, at this point, Brian Singer could do no wrong with his property. Fox was, you know, going to just keep hitting us over the head with it. And we were fine with that. Then in 2004, Sony's like, I see your X-Men 2, and here's Spider-Man 2. Arguably the best Spider-Man movie out there, Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man, Doc Ock. But again, there were things that were changed about the characters to make them more palatable on screen. Doc Ock wasn't just some scientist who'd been using these arms and they got fused. He had to have a relationship with Peter to make it more, you know, uh, emotional when they actually did fight. Also, Punisher with Thomas Jane came out in 2004, a movie that I enjoyed. I thought that they came closer to getting Punisher right than I ever thought they would. Now, they'll probably blow that out of the water in the Daredevil second season in a couple of years. 
Uh, Blade 3 also, Blade Trinity, was released in 2004. Not much to say about that. 2005, DC swings back. Marvel's, I mean, Warner Brothers swings back. Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins happens in 2005. Batman Begins is a wonderful movie. Love Batman Begins. And here's where the idea of realism really came into the superhero genre. Christopher Nolan wanted to have an explanation for everything about Batman and why everything works the way it does. And when you do that, you have to start now walking a very fine line because if you're going to start to explain the minutia of why something that happened on the page in the comic may not make sense in real life, then you're, you're in danger of toppling the whole premise. Because the minute you allow people to not have to suspend disbelief about one little thing, suddenly they're going to start not suspending their disbelief about the big stuff. So I felt like Nolan walked that line very well, did a really good job of it. Also in 2005, the first Fantastic Four film. Uh, Tim Story directed Ian Gruffin, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Jessica Alba, Michael Chiklis, Chris Evans... Um, Ian Grufford, I believe. I, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Julian McMahon was Dr. Doom. Um, they brought Alicia Masters into this. You know, it was, I went and saw it. I'm like, okay, I like it, but there was something off about it. There was something just not quite, eh, not quite there. And I, you know, I don't know what it was. I, I still, I think it is as, um, I still think it is, as Scott Riven had said on this very podcast, that you were missing the fantastic element from the Fantastic Four. We'll talk more about that momentarily. There's also the idea of getting Doom wrong in this movie. They did get Doom wrong. That's not just an opinion. That is something that when you compare Doom, who's been around since the 60s, to what was given to us in 2005, and even in the most recent Fantastic Four you're going to find out that neither one of those versions of Doom stack up to what has been around the comics for years and years and years and years. So my point that I feel like I'm over-making here is that from 1978 till now, with the exception of just one period or two of a year or two in between in there, we've had at least one superhero movie in the cinema during that year. That this genre has been around, it has not gone away. It's what's been done with the genre. Superman the movie, Richard Donner has said he was all about the idea of verisimilitude, that there has to be a truthfulness that rings from this. He didn't want to go too campy. He didn't want to go too silly. He wanted everything to be as earnest as it could, but still be fun. And that worked in a really powerful way for that movie. Uh, again, if you start picking nits, if you start really trying to pick things apart, you'll unravel the whole thing. You know why? Because it's a fictional story about a baby who was sent from a planet who has powers beyond those of mortal men on this planet. It's a fictional story. And when you start to pick apart fiction, you can really tear down some premises, especially science fiction. That's the, that's the whole joy of it, is that I'm now going to suspend my disbelief and not be like, oh, that couldn't happen. You know, so you just got to let it go. And they really did a good job in Superman. And I believe Superman 2 was, for years and years and years, I've said that Superman 2 is the, is the movie whereby I judge all superhero sequels. Because it is so, 
even Richard Lester's version. Now, later on, when they do the Donner stuff, everyone's like, oh my gosh, that Richard Lester was a pile of crap, that version. No, that's the version I grew up with and I love to this day. So, knowing that and, and having that, you see that these guys were carrying something forward. Swamp Thing wasn't that great. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pat the back of every single superhero movie that came out through those years. But what you begin to see happen is when they thought there was money involved, when they thought that there could be, because Superman was a smash hit, as was Superman 2, the studios will take a little bit more liking to it. And they're like, okay, well, let's really do this now. So that you end up with, you know, uh, well, do they really, can we really do this? Will they really believe this? Will they really buy this? The 80s was a little bit of a different time. When you hit the 90s, it's like, What's so funny about the stuff that came through in the 90s is everyone was reading the comics and no one was paying attention to it uh, as far as the filmmakers went. Everybody in the world were reading comics. They were selling millions of copies of X-Men number one. And the movie people were like, eh, you know. It was, it, there was a disconnect um, of, of what was going on. There was a disconnect uh, of, of what people were looking for in their superhero films. 2008 is when it all changes, ladies and gentlemen. 2008, um, there's a line of demarcation, if you will, in what is acceptable in a superhero movie. Now, there were two movies that hit that year, really three, um, but the two big ones that really kind of made the biggest splash. Number one was The Dark Knight. This is Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker. This is, you know, that middle part of, of Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. This is a movie that, for the first uh, 80, 80 to 90% of it, it is wonderful. In the last 15 minutes of it, I could just, you know, take or leave. Um, it is what it is. It's, you, you can't, you can't beat, um, for that movie, for that trilogy of movies, Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker. They, they, they up the stakes. They, they did everything you needed to do in a superhero movie to show more gadgets, show a bigger fight, show that, you know, it really, you know, it, it is what it was, and it was great. On the flip side of that, there was something else that happened, and I think something more impressive than a Batman movie being successful. What was even more impressive to me than that Batman movie being as successful as it was, and it was successful, was the collective imagination of movie-going audiences being captured by Iron Man, of all people. Iron Man had no business being on the movie screen. But Marvel had sold off all its other properties by the time they decided to do its mar do their own thing as Marvel Studios. They couldn't touch the big dogs. They couldn't touch Spider-Man. They couldn't get to the Fantastic Four. They couldn't do necessarily the Hulk yet, or so we thought. They worked out something with Universal. But Iron Man is a movie that no one should have really cared about, but everyone ended up caring about. Why? Robert Downey Jr. is a big part of that. John Favreau, huge part of that. Marvel Studios, a big part of that. Why? Because they said this character has stood in the comics for 40 years. Why can't it stand as this character in the movies? Why can't we make a movie with this character, with the heart of the character intact, with the with the source material intact, updated, yes. Amalgamized with a little bit of the ultimate universe in it, yes. But it stands. 
You throw Jean Favreau into that, Favreau into that. You throw Tony Stark, uh, Robert Downey Jr. into that. And you end up with a movie that if you say, do you want to watch Dark Knight or do you want to watch Iron Man? I'm going Iron Man every time, if that's the choice. Not because Dark Knight's a bad movie. I'm not crapping on one to lift up the other. But I'm telling you that what that movie did was so amazing. And it began to shift our ideas of what a superhero movie should be. Because it was fun. The stakes were real. You were invested in the characters. You didn't care about the science so much that it would fall apart if you started to unravel it. Because you didn't want to unravel it. Because you enjoyed sitting in this world so much that you didn't need every little thing explained to you. that they, they took What Marvel Studios did is they took for granted that movie audiences want to go to a movie and watch a film where, they're, where, where it is escapism. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting immersed into a story where you're loving the characters, you're having fun with the characters, and you're not worried about how repulsors work or could he really fly in a suit of iron or in the suit of armor that he's made. You, you're not worried about all that because you're willing to accept those large gaps in logic just because you're enjoying the ride that you're on. Marvel found the code, they cracked it, and then they promised us something amazing with a button at the end of the credits where Nick Fury shows up, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury shows up and says, I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. Well, that captured everybody's imagination. A few months later, here comes the Incredible Hulk. Not the most successful Marvel film. In fact, I believe it's the least successful of the Marvel Studios films, right? But what was one of their big marketing campaign pieces about it? TV spots started to hit and showing the scene of Tony Stark in that bar. And, and everyone's like, oh my lanta, it's connected. The connected is not what matters. What matters is that we saw a studio trying to do something that no one had ever done before. They were about to give us a series of movies that, we always thought would just have to stand alone. We always thought as superhero fans, well, you can have a Superman movie, you can have a Batman movie, but you can't have a Superman-Batman movie. You can have a Hulk movie, and you can have a Spider-Man movie, but you'll never see a Spider-Man and a Hulk movie. You can have a Captain America movie, and you can have an Iron Man movie, but you'll never see those two come together. Don't think you could ever do a Thor movie. Boom. Proven wrong. So now our expectation for what superhero movies should be has changed. I think that people expect superhero movies to be as close to the source material as possible, especially geeks who know the source material. I think people expect superhero movies to be fun. I don't think that people want to go into a superhero movie and be, you know, blatantly given the que- the deep questions of life to have to consider. We want good guys, bad guys, good guy wins, saves the day, maybe even gets the girl. You know? In the case of Steve Rogers, we want our heart to be broken that he never got back to the girl. And it works. We want a good story. We want a story that we can sink our teeth into and really enjoy it play out, whether it's the origin of this character or whether it's the continuing adventures of this character. We want good characterization of key players. That's heroes and villains. The biggest criticism of Marvel Studios has been that their villains haven't been really thought out. And I think that comes from the focus of the heroes, or focus on the heroes, rather. 
uh, Loki has been one that people have really glommed onto as a great villain. I say that Jeff Bridges' turn as the Iron Monger in the first Iron Man. I want to see Jeff Bridges back because I think he did a great job with what he was given uh, when you go back and watch that movie. Um, uh, oh my gosh. Um, Sam Rockwell is Justin Hammer. I'd love to see Justin Hammer show up in more Iron Man movies, especially if Sam Rockwell is going to play him because he is such a great anti-Tony in, in that film and in, in what he does in Iron Man too. I think the Red Skull was great in Captain America. I don't, I want to spend, I want to see that villain expounded on more and more and more, you know? Um, so it's been hit or miss on the villains in these Marvel Studios movies. I love the abomination. Listen, I'm an apologist for the Incredible Hulk because I love that movie. It's everything that I wanted Incredible Hulk movie to be. And and it worked on a thousand million levels for me. Um, but that's what I think that's what we expect of superhero movies today because of 2008. And and what it, and, and when I say as close as possible to source material, you want to be able to look on the screen and recognize those characters based on the clothes they're wearing. You want Iron Man's armor to be red and gold. You want Thor to have the red cape. And, and you know, and I like the fact that in, in the first Thor, they gave him the helmet as a formal wear kind of thing. You know, that it's not something he wears necessarily going into battle. But you, but... But it was there, you know, the wings on the helmet and everything. That's what we want. We want these characters to be recognizable as though they stepped off the comic book page. The impetus on a good team movie now, ever since the Avengers comes into play, and really since X-Men. Brian Singer did a great job with X-Men as far as the team movie goes. You, you want everyone to get their moment to shine on the team. Everyone's got to have the moment where they step up and they do the thing. The story may need to be anchored by telling it from one character's perspective. Um, in the case of, and here's where we're going to start to get into some spoilers of, of Fantastic Four, Fantastic In this movie, it tries to be from Reed's point of view, but it all ends up falling apart toward the end of the second act. Um, we, we lose Reed's point of view somewhere in there, and it gets muddied. I don't know that Reed is the person that we want to tell the story from his point of view. Reed is is kind of inaccessible because of how smart he is. Uh, Johnny is a good person to kind of hit on to tell that story from, but I think Ben Grimm is probably the best person to tell the story of the Fantastic Four from his side, from his point of view. Because I think what happens is, is we can all relate to filling out a place the way that he does. And so it becomes a, and we can also relate to the loyalty and having the friendship, even though you're mad as fire at this person, you're still going to stand by them because they're your best friend in the whole wide world. Um, which that didn't even come into play, by the way, in, in Fant Forstic. The relationships need to be well established and not forced in these things. Um, again, you don't get the sense, you get that Reed and Ben are friends, but they really pull directly from. Uh, Bendis's Ultimate Fantastic Four, which didn't work, you know, because suddenly it's it's testing day. We're gonna make this happen, Ben. You were there in my garage. I want you here now because we're best friends forever, man. And okay, we're just gonna let this guy come in and see this stuff. I know that's a nitpick, but it's also one of those things. Ben Grimm in the comics, in, in the original Fantastic Four, the reason he was there was because he was a test pilot. Ben Grimm wasn't an idiot. And that's the one thing they got wrong in the Ultimate Fantastic I've gone back and read a lot of the Ultimate Fantastic Four, and that's the one thing they got wrong, is Ben Grimm's not stupid. 
Ben Grimm was an intelligent dude. He was, he became a test pilot. You know, he was fearless. He had some brains about him. Just no one, but next to Reed Richards, everyone looks dumb. You know, but he, he was loyal to Reed. He was friends with Reed. They were college roommates for crying out loud. Reed helped him out. He helped Reed out. But so these relationships need to be more well established. They can't be forced. And in this movie, unfortunately, these relationships were forced. The Reed Sue relationship, it's like it tried to kind of get started with something cutesy and weird, but then you're just supposed to accept now that they like each other, maybe love each other, who knows. I'm going to tell you guys something in the comic books and I know, and, and that's a phrase you're going to hear a lot for the next few minutes, but in the comic books, the Reed Sue relationship is the one thing that you should always be able to count on in comic books. You should always be able to count on that Reed Richards loves Sue and Sue loves Reed no matter how much they may they may fight sometimes, they may have disagreements, but they're passionately in love with one another and always will be and that they're each other's first priority. And you don't even see the seeds of that planted in Fantforstic. You just see him trying to play with a few little rom-com things and, and play up on Reed's social awkwardness. That's another thing. Reed was never really socially awkward in, in, in the original comics. He was a little bit distracted. But, you know, because he'd be thinking about something, doing something, he was a little bit gruff and, and abrupt with the team sometimes. But he was never really socially awkward. We've got this idea that if you're super smart, you've got to be kind of weird. And, and that's not necessarily the case. And, and I think if you want a team that you can look up to, you, they need to be people that you can relate to on some level, but not to the point that Reed can't talk to anybody. That's not how he rolls. In fact, Reed is one of the most verbose people in comics. Well, you know, they took that away from him in the old Fant Forsting. Um, so, so as a team movie, this particular movie kind of fell apart. Because we never got the sense of a team. They all got a moment here or two to shine. Kinda. You know? But I, it's almost like that Fox thought they had a formula based on what was done in that first Fantastic Four movie. And said, well, we gotta go by this formula. Oh, okay. Or, okay? Alright, I guess? I don't know. When, you, when it comes to the Fantastic Four, if you go back and you read those comics, we're dropped into a group from the get-go, from page one. They know each other, and they go up in a rocket with really only potentially two and probably just the one qualified people, the one being Ben Grimm as a pilot. Reed's going to study these cosmic rays, and Sue says, well, you're not going without me, and Johnny says, well, I'm going to tag along too. That's really how it happens. And they sneak onto a launching pad and they steal the rocket and they go up. They get their cos they go to the cosmic rays, they get their powers, and we're off to the races. This all happens in one issue, and it doesn't end with them standing there with new powers. They still have to fight the Mole Man. They still have to fight giant monsters in New York. They go all the way to Mole Island to take on the Mole Man. This is all in one issue. You get the origin, you get this big fight. It's it's really kind of an interesting thing. And it's, you know, it's old school comic storytelling. It's Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, but it's really interesting to see that how much they crammed in and how much it works. And you're not asking questions. You're not scratching your head when it's all said and done. And early, early on, what's established in the comics is Ben has anger with Reed over the situation. 
Johnny's kind of got a nonchalant attitude toward everything. And unfortunately, in the early years, Sue's not very well written. She's very much written by two, you know, men of that era. And, uh, and unfortunately, she's more concerned with shopping and get her hair done. But as time would go on, that changed drastically. Sue became one of the strongest female characters in comics. Sue was a, a fierce protector of her children and her family. With not just the, when they when they decided to give her the force field stuff, she became one of the most powerful people on in Marvel Comics. You know, the, the, it it came down to almost as long as her will held out, she could hold out. You know, it, with what she was doing with the force fields and that sort of thing, and she saved their bacon more times than not. Sue has become this great, powerful female character who is a wife and a mother and still a superhero. She's intelligent. She's witty. She is, you know, she's all the things that you want, I think, out of a powerful female superhero without sacrificing femininity uh, and without sacrificing a family dynamic that's been there since the get-go. You know, that motherly, maternal instinct that she has. And and so as you see her evolve through the years, you find out well, we can do this person. This is someone that girls could really relate to. I don't mind them making Sue a scientist, you know, and making her understand what's going on a little bit better. I don't. I, that's fine with me. Um, but unfortunately, and I don't know if it was the situation behind the scenes or what, Kate Mara, who I think is a fantastic actress, I I, I think she's she's incredible. She's beautiful. She's a, she's a wonderful actress just didn't come across great in this movie. Very cardboard, a little bit wooden. Um, and weird. It was a weird thing they did where she can she gets patterns. She's a, She can recognize patterns easily. And that just kind of came out of the blue. Um, in the Ultimate Fantastic Four, it's they're all brilliant kids and they're breaking through dimensional barriers. And I don't really like that. That's how they receive their powers. And they're thrown together and somehow... By the end of the Ultimate Fantastic Four run, Reed had ended up going nuts and becoming a supervillain in the end. This is one of my problems with comics today. Heroes aren't heroes. Let these people be heroes. Reed Richards should have a moral core, a moral center that says, I'm only going to go so far that I'm going to do what's right. And the thing about the Fantastic Four is they're not necessarily superheroes. They get thrown into situations where they have to save the world, but they're more, they're, they're adventurers. They're going after the Fantastic. A lot of what drove Reed early on in the comics was searching for ways to turn Ben back into a human. And in doing so, they would end up exploring the negative zone. They would end up discovering, you know, it, they'd end up with Namor down in Atlantis. They would end up all over these different places, not because they were looking for a fight or they were looking to save the world. They would stumble into situations where if this doesn't change, we, if we don't stop this, the world's going to come to an end and they would have to save the world. Scrolls first appearance in Fantastic Four. The Negative Zone in Fantastic Four had some villains come out of it. They've got a good rogues gallery. You know, you can get beyond Doctor Doom and the rogues gallery. In fact, in fact, I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, this. I've seen articles where they've said uh, that Fantastic Four probably should never be rebooted again. Shouldn't ever. I didn't say shouldn't never. Shouldn't ever be rebooted again. That they should probably just let this thing die where it's at. But I submit to you... Nay, nay. <laughs> don't 
go ahead reboot that Fantastic Four, but don't do Doctor Doom right off the bat. Wait until your second movie to bring in Doctor Doom. He, Doctor Doom wasn't introduced until issue five of the Fantastic Four. Uh, there's some other rogues that they have. The Puppet Master, who's someone who has like this irradiated clay where he can make, if he makes an image of you out of his clay, it's almost it's kind of voodoo dolly, but he's not voodoo. It's irradiated clay, and he can he's a master sculptor, and he'll make puppets and then control these puppets and or control people because of these puppets and make them do things they wouldn't normally do. The Fantastic Four has a bizarro Fantastic Four called the Frightful Four. The leader is always a guy named the Wizard who just wants to prove that he's smarter than Reed Richards. And he's assembled other team members under him time and time again. There's been Claw, who we met in the Avengers, Ulysses Claw. Titania was in there. Medusa. The Trapster was a part of it. Hydro Man. All kinds of people have been involved in um, in the Frightful Four. The Mole Man, who was their first ever villain, who's just this guy who was ostracized by society because he was so ugly and so weird that he left and found a group uh, under the earth of, of, of subhumanoids that he could control, that he was accepted by, and he found out he could control these giant monsters from this place called Monster Island, and he turned those monsters against, at the time, Central City, not New York City. Um, Molecule Man. Molecule Man is a guy who was just a janitor, basically, he had no real education. He he was kind of a loser, too, not because of his position in life, but just because of his personality and who he was. And, uh, you know, just a going-nowhere kind of dude who didn't have anything going for him. And through an accident in a lab, he gained the power to literally will stuff in and out of existence based on the molecules around him. And um, he would later, you know find out that what had happened was an incomplete birth of a cosmic cube he was part of that the beyonder was part of it and they had to join together to be a cosmic cube but molecule man he was a little crazy galactus the world devourer hello that brings in all of the different heralds of galactus whether it's silver surfer terax fire lord nova any of those people that could come into play with galactus i don't know who has the rights to namor but namor has a very strained relationship with the fantastic four annihilus and blastar two villains out of the negative zone Impossible Man, who's kind of like Marvel's Mr. Mixish Pillick. Um, he's funny, but he, you know, I don't know that he'd work on screen, but he definitely in a Fantastic Four cartoon could be great. It's some fun stuff could be done with him. The Mad Thinker, again, another another brain versus brain kind of thing. The Mad Thinker would work out the odds. He'd work out these plots, and, you know, and he'd be like, this is going to happen in this many seconds. I know I've got it worked out to the day. The Red Ghost is a guy who was also infected by cosmic rays, infected, affected by cosmic rays, and he gained invisibility and intangibility, and he had some monkeys with him, some different apes that all got various powers. They were Their intelligence was increased, and they all had different powers. Psycho Man from the Microverse. We've seen glimpses of the Microverse in Ant-Man. Psycho Man comes from the uh, Microverse. He controls uh, the emotions of the masses and he can instill fear and hatred and anger and all these different things of course i already mentioned the scrolls and super scroll super scroll is a scroll that was um that was created to have all the powers of the fantastic four we saw a little bit of that kind of in johnny in fantastic four rise of the silver surfer where he was working with all their powers here's my point here's here's what i'm saying there's a whole plethora of rogues that, when done well, if done right, 
could really make for an interesting first opening volley. I think Mole Man's the way you go. I think you do it the way the comics did it. I think you go with Mole Man. I think you surprise everybody by doing Mole Man. Um, and, and then, in a second movie, you bring in Doom. And in a third movie, you bring in Galactus and the Silver Surfer. And, um, you, you know, in, in that way, you don't have this... Oh my gosh, we got to get Doom right this time. We got to get Doom right this time. Here's how you get Doom right. Understand this, ladies and gentlemen. Doctor Doom was done poorly in this in Fantastic, and he was done poorly because. And it, look again, even in Ultimate Fantastic Four, Bendis didn't, I think, get the fullness of who Doctor Doom is supposed to be. I think it was. I, I need to make sure I'm giving credit where credits due. I'm pretty sure it was Bendis who wrote. Um, uh, Fantastic Four. Um, I'm sorry, Mike Carey was on there by the 19th issue. I, let me find out. I'm sorry, guys. I I just want to make sure that I'm I'm saying the right thing. Bendis did Ultimate Spider-Man, and he became um. I mean, he became the he became the go-to guy in Marvel. And with good reason. He was a great writer. Ultimate Spider-Man was a game changer in comic books, you know, and that whole idea of here's a new tale, you know, telling a new tale of an old favorite kind of thing. And and it got it gave people yeah, Bendis started the whole thing out. Um you know, along with Mark Millar and, and that sort of thing. Kubert's were doing art for him, but he, he started this whole thing out and he got Doom wrong in that. Because they made Doom smarter than Reed, or they made Doom able to outsmart Reed right at the get-go. When the when the way Doom was originally presented, when you go back to that issue five, I need to pull it up because I'd actually pulled it up on the Marvel app and saved it for later just so I could read a little bit to you guys. This comes from a reading now from Fantastic Four number five from 1961. This is their first encounter as the Fantastic Four with Dr. Doom. Um, Reed says, that voice, I recognize it, but I thought he was dead. Years ago in my college days, there was a student named Victor Von Doom who was fascinated by sorcery and black magic. This became a huge part of Dr. Doom over the years, that he was combining science and sorcery. Uh, the panel that shows Doom stand there, I, Von Doom, have mastered the mystic rites. Reed goes on, he was a brilliant science student, but he was only interested in forbidden experiments. Um, trying to contact the netherworld, apparently, is what he's doing. And he puts himself in this machine that covers his head up, and someone's trying to help him out. He says, why do you keep trying to contact the netherworld? And Doom says, silence, just do as you're told. One night, the evil genius went too far, Goes Reed goes on, as he brought forth powers which even he could not control. He managed to escape with his life, although his face was badly disfigured. And then uh, they show the dean, Von Doom, I'm expelling you from the school before you cause greater harm to yourself or to us. And so he left, Reed goes on. When he last heard of, when last heard of, he was prowling the wastelands of Tibet, still seeking forbidden secrets of black magic and sorcery. Doom, you find out later, is trying to do this because he's trying to rescue his mother's soul from the clutches of Mephisto in what is basically hell, okay? He's combined science and sorcery. 
He's got this armor. You do find out, we will see later on in other issues way down the road what happened in Tibet, that they gave him the initial armor to cover up his disfigurement, and he put it on before it was cooled, further disfiguring his face. And he began to wear this armor that he would then upgrade with different scientific things. He could fly. He had all kinds of lasers that would come out. He'd make these robots that looked and acted just like him unless they were in his presence. Doom is a genius scientist, a metaphysicist, a sorcerer who was mad at Reed. There's a, we get a little bit more of that scene. Reed tries to say, look, some of your figures are off here, and Doom gets mad at him. In all these other incarnations, Doom has turned around and looked to Reed and said, your figures are off. And they've made Doom too much of an equal to read. And almost, in this movie, almost made him too likable. Again, because we're obsessed with wanting the villain to be good. But the truth of the matter is, is regardless of motives, if you do the wrong thing, you're a villain. So, the mistake, I feel, was introducing Doom from the get-go. His armor is not part of his body. That's the other thing that these movies have done wrong. They did it in the first Fantastic Four. They did it in this one, where Doom became melded with a suit, and it became, or he became the suit, you know. And in, in Fantastic Four by Tim Story, what they did is, is like he literally, like in the, in the, in the Ultimate comics, he started to grow metal skin, basically. That's dumb, that is dumb. Let him be disfigured. That way you don't have to pay an actor for their pretty face. Just have doom. And then pay someone for their awesome voice. You know, do it Darth Vader style. It's okay. But he's a monarch of a land, and uh, there's no such place as Latveria. But in, in the movies, it doesn't matter. You can have Latveria, and you can have Doctor Doom be the monarch of this place. And he's and the one thing he's obsessed with, especially once Reed Richards and crew come back, he sees them, and he's obsessed with destroying them because Reed Richards had a, had a scientific accident, and, and he wasn't badly disfigured. He disfigured his friend, and he deserves to be destroyed. He deserves to be punished. And so it begins this battle between them. Where Doom's like, I the world belongs to me. Now, and and that's the thing about this movie is the actors are great in this movie. What you have in Fant Forstick is just either a bad cut of the movie or a terrible script. No one ever seemed to get into things. It's the same problem with Ang Lee's Hulk. Everyone whispered. The, the emotion was never really fully there. And Ang Lee, I think, did that in that in the Hulk because he wanted to keep everything subdued so that when the Hulk did rage out, you know, boom, there's the emotion. When Nick Nolte goes crazy, boom, there's the emotion. And it's shockingly, you know, it's shocking in comparison to what we see the rest of the time. But here, it's just it just felt like no one ever really truly got into things. There was never any chemistry between these people. One of the little nitpicky thing that bothered me is Johnny's powers aren't controllable by him he always had to push a button on the suit they gave him which they never get into their fantastic four suits in this movie not even at the end not even for a hero shot at the end they're in these black containment suit things that they're wearing and johnny apparently apparently can't control his powers he was always touching something on his suit to turn on his flame everyone else could control theirs but johnny couldn't control his which i think is that's that's just stupid there's no reason to put that in there 
Ben Grimm's voice as the thing was very off-putting to me. It was just Jamie Bell pitched down a little bit. Yeah, you know, they pitched his voice down. They did. They obviously put some effects on it. And and I know what it is. It's like we don't want to do the oh it's clobbering time. You know they don't want to do that. Why not? What's wrong with that? Michael Chiklis had it. I'm sorry. Michael Chiklis nailed what the thing sounds like in in every in the collective heads of everyone. I think. You can say what you want to about how bad the suit looked. You can say what you want to about what you know how bad those movies were. But you had Michael Chiklis, who was a fan, as well as Tim Story. Michael Chiklis talked very greatly about how excited he was to play Ben Grimm in the thing. And man, he knew from the get go what he what he wanted the voice to be, and he and he nailed it. We've seen time and time again since 2008, we've seen page-accurate characters translated well onto the screen. And I think that that's my biggest problem coming into this, is that, is that, there, is that though, though it is, it's pretty close to what was done in the Ultimate Fantastic Four, the Ultimate Fantastic Four is not good. <laughs> There's some good stuff in it, but it's not. It was by this point the Ultimate Universe was trying so hard to be different that it just again when you when you have a path start out where Reed Richards ends up being the villain in a situation, it's not you know, it it's not where you want to go. You don't want that to be the basis for where you're jumping off at. You want the basis to be what works from all of these different things, and what works more than anything is. The you know the forty fifty years of history of the original Fantastic Four. We we've seen this happen with Iron Man. We saw it with the Hulk. We saw it in the Avengers, the Thor. We've seen Black Widow. We've seen Hawkeye. We've seen these people be the characters they need to be on the screen based on who they are on the page. And I really feel like what happened here was the was a studio trying for that money grab, and. And they had a young director who has been put in a very unfortunate situation because he wasn't ready for this. And that's no slam on Josh Trank. Josh Trank, I think, is talented. I don't think he's a hack. I don't think that he is he's as bad as what people are letting on. I think Josh Trank is is talented, has good ideas, and has good visions. I just think that he wasn't the right person, obviously not the right person, to come into this project. But I also think that the studio is the wrong studio to be handling these characters at this point. And because it's Fox, you're not going to see Fox bend over you know, backwards to get to Disney and say, please help us get money off of these things. Fox will just, I really feel like that they'll out of spite just keep doing stuff to keep the rights until they get it right. We're not going to see Marvel Studios get the rights, and I hope I'm wrong about that. I, I it it feels weird knowing that we're coming into Infinity War down in a few years with no Silver Surfer, with none of the big cosmic characters. I feel like you know, look, here's the thing. Here's what you here here's the difference between what Fox Studios has done and what Marvel Studios would do with this thing. Marvel Studios would show us Galactus in the purple and blue costume. They would put blue trunks on the thing. In this movie, the thing had no pants. Why? 
because it's unbelievable that a big rock monster would wear pants? Come on. Come on. Again, that's one of those little things that if you pull it apart, it doesn't make sense. The whole rest will start to crumble. Because if a creator is looking for holes to fill, you're revealing other holes to the audience. That, that's all there is to it. It's sad to me because this movie isn't as bad as what people are making it out to be. The problem is, is in a day and age, and it's only been, it's funny to think it's only been seven years since, since that line of demarcation, since that line was drawn in the sand. But audiences have come to expect more from their superhero movies. And even the general audiences who don't know exactly what it is they're expecting, they don't realize that, that what's resonating with them about the characters that they're loving and getting into are the things that have worked for years and years and years for these characters. And there's a reason, I, I guess, and I've said this a million times, there's a reason these characters have stood the test of time. There's a reason that they're still around. There's a reason that, you know, they're still selling comics of the mill, well, not the Fantastic Four anymore, but you know what I'm saying. There's a reason for these characters to still be on, you know, in in the zeitgeist, in 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 the uh, in the world. There's a reason they've lasted, and it's because they resonate on some level, whether people are fans or not. They resonate, and and people have come to expect these companies to give us movies where we can really dig into the characters that are given to us. The Fantastic Four has the potential to be genuinely fun. It has it can be exciting. It could be a moving movie. But the studio in charge needs to look at the source material more intently than they apparently have been looking at it. So again, I'm not trashing the work done because at the end of the day there are hundreds of people that work hard to get this stuff to us. What I'm trying to do and what this really got me thinking about was why do we not accept this? Because honestly, 1993 Steve would have loved this movie. I would have known everything that was wrong with it, but I'm like, oh, but look, did you see when he stretched like that? Man, when the thing finally did say it's clobbered. And a lot of people are making a big deal about where he gets its clobbered time from. They, you know... They look at it as abuse by his older brother. To me, it looked like an older brother just giving his younger brother a hard time, as older brothers will do. Um, so so when he gets its clobbering time from that, people are like, oh my gosh, why would you ever say that? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, I feel like that's being a little overly sensitive to a situation. Um, no, we haven't touched on race here because Michael B. Jordan is an incredible actor. Uh, I love the dude that played uh, Franklin Storm. He he played uh, Freddy in House of Cards. I can't think of his real name, but, you know, his voice gets a little old after a while. Spoiler alert, Dr. Doom, basically Victor gets caught in the negative zone. What is the, the, the negative zone? And he, and he apparently dies there. But then when they go back to explore the negative zone, because what they need to do is get energy reading so that Reed can figure out how to how to cure Ben, especially, uh, Dr. Doom shows up, or they sent military people there, and Dr. Doom shows up and basically just blows their heads up with his mind. Well, then he walks through the bunker when he gets back to Earth, walks through the bunker, and is blowing up people's heads with his mind, except for the Fantastic Four. Suddenly, he has no power against them. 
But he goes back to the negative zone. What he's trying to do now is basically destroy all of Earth. He creates a black hole of some sort, starts teleporting everything into the negative zone, turning it to energy, you know, basically disintegrating it. And so the Fantastic Four have to stop him from where they're at. They end up in the negative zone with him, and they're trying to stop him. And I guess it's a pretty cool fight, but there's a whole little subplot that kind of gets wonky because Reed leaves the bunker where they're all at. He leaves the, the installation where they're at, for, and he's gone for a year. So while they're all learning their powers, he's gone for a year trying to figure out what went wrong or something. I don't know. It just makes no sense. Like, it's this, it's this plot point that just never makes sense, and it never really comes back to play. There, there are setups that never get paid off. There's so many deleted scenes in this movie. So many things that were shown in the trailer that don't show up in the movie. And Doctor Doom looks like a crash test dummy when it's all said and done. There you go. I mean, what more can you say? It it didn't work on a lot of levels, but but there was some good stuff there too, though. And that's what's unfortunate. Is you can see where people worked hard. You can see where there are places where you can just tell the actors wanted it to be better than it was. And no one wants to be in a bad movie. Guys, no one wants to make a bad movie. To me, it's an interesting look at how far we've come as geeks, you know, what we've gotten, you know, what we've been able to enjoy. It's interesting to see how far we've come to what where we can expect more than this. This movie, not as bad as Electra. This movie, not as bad as Ghost Rider. This movie, not as bad as Catwoman. You know, this movie, not as bad as Batman and Robin. This movie is on the lower end of those things, but I feel like it's being treated very unfairly based on our current expectations of superhero movies. And I guess that's, in a roundabout way, that's what I wanted to say. And so where people say, well, is this the moment? Is this where it all dies? I've even heard those kind of naysayers come along. No. No. The superhero movie genre is not going to go away. It may cool off, not because of this. It may cool off for a while in a couple of years, but it's not going to completely go away. It hasn't gone away since 1978. I don't see any signs of it going away anytime soon. We may go back into a time where we're the minority, where I'm talking to people who are just glad to find someone who will talk about this stuff because no one else will. But it'll still be around. We'll still have it. So, um, so yeah, that's that's just kind of my thoughts. It, and it's, it's the thought process that it all led me down um, when... Uh, it's a thought process that, that led me down, you know, it, it led me down to this thought process of just thinking about the history of superhero movies, thinking about, you know, what's come before and, and, and dreaming about the future. You know, at D23 this past week, we ended up with apparently, um, a great look at Captain America Civil War. This is a movie that I'm not super stoked about, but Ant-Man, Paul Rudd stole the show apparently is what is what i'm being told is that in the in the um in the trailer they showed that he he had his moments to shine and so i think it's really cool the it's basically civil war captain america civil war i think is going to end up being avengers 3 and i'm completely okay with that uh because i'm ready to spend some more time especially with like the vision and uh, man I, I i've said before on the show i wasn't really excited about the black panther coming to the marvel universe but you know, knowing the guy who's playing him and having seen him in a couple of things, I'm really kind of stoked to see what he brings to the table because I think he's a, a fantabulous actor. 
So we've got a lot to look forward to. It's like I told some friends the other night. There's more to be happy about to be sad about, you know. Uh, so so let's just, again, let's just be happy. Um, I do hope, you know, I hope against all hopes that what this movie does uh, for Fox is encourages them to come into a partnership with Marvel Studios the same way Sony has. Um and, and try to work with um, try to work with Marvel Studios to to make something really special uh, because I think I think that this movie that this franchise can be really special for for what we've got for us for all of us. Wow, I rambled on there, gang. I don't blame you if you turn me off. We have gone late tonight. For those of you live in the chat at Mixer.com slash Goliverse. Daniel and Indy will get the last word. He says, what this movie does is keep Star Wars safe from Josh Trank. A lot of neat Star Wars stuff to talk about. If you want to hear my thoughts on some of it, check out the latest uh, Star Wars report at StarWarsReport.com. Uh, Riley and Bethany are back in town, and they had Teresa Delgado and myself on to talk uh, all things Star Wars news out of D23. Have you seen that cool poster by Drew Struzan? I'm excited. What are your thoughts? Get in touch at geekoutonline at gmail.com. I've been berated for giving this movie money. It didn't make much of a difference, guys. Geekoutonline at gmail.com is the email. Facebook.com slash geekoutloud. Keep your eyes peeled there for some more of those goal polls that we'll put up. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Steve Gloss, and of course, the podcast is at Geek Out Loud. And follow all of the Goliverse and know what's going on with us at Goliverse over on Twitter. We do have a book club episode coming up. If you want to join the Goliverse book club, head over to geekoutonline.com slash reads. That'll take you to goodreads.com where we have a group set up there, the Goliverse book club group. And you can get involved in discussions about the things that are being read and put your voice in on what should be read next and that sort of thing. Coming up later this month will be our discussion on Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis. Geekoutonline.com slash reads. Amazon links are at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. Thank you guys for using those. When you click through to Amazon and buy, it really helps the show out. As well as your direct support at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. We thank you all who support us that way. It means the world to me. I, I seriously, seriously mean it. It means the world to me. Check out Audible, audibletrial.com slash geekout. We're brought to you by Audible. And we thank them for their sponsorship of Geek Out Loud. Satchelplayer.com, satchelplayer.com. If you have an Android phone specifically, they need more uh, beta testers for their open beta for Satchel the Satchel Pod Player Podcatcher on Android. Satchelplayer.com for all the information about that. Proud to be part of the Shot Glass Digital family at shotglassdigital.com with great shows such as Rebel Force Radio. All of the Goliver shows are practically there. Techno Retro Dads. All kinds of good programming over there at shotglassdigital.com. Guys, I love you so much. It's been fun geeking out. Thank you for humoring me 
as I talked about one of my favorite comic properties in all of comicdom, Fantastic Four. Until next time, I'm Steve Glosson. We'll see you on the next Geek Out Loud.